Welcome to the Inside Envy podcast, where we bring you, the listener, inside Envy's walls to join us for conversations about cycling and a deep dive into the science and insight behind our brand, the people, and the products we create to deliver a better ride experience. Good morning, everyone. Um, This is the Inside Envy podcast, and today on the podcast, we have with us Neil Shirley. Ike Pantone, Bo Van Brocklin, and our sound engineer for the day, AJ Turner. Slash AJ Pedal Turner. Slash DK mechanic. Yeah. Slash best hair in the building. <laughs> do, do you want sound technician or sound specialist? No, whichever. Okay. We'll work we on that. Give him an honorary engineering degree. Yeah. Yeah. Sound engineer. <laughs> That's it. There's one thing I learned about podcasting is that anybody can be an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody can be anything. So a little background. Neil Shirley is uh, the influence marketing manager here at Envy, which means he oversees everything around events and athletes and Envy's influence in the world. Um, Ike Pantone is the test lab engineer. So he oversees much, well, pretty much all of the testing that goes on, both in the lab as well as out in the field. We've got a very talented Bo Van Brocklin, who is a graphic designer and uh, is one of the minds behind many of the uh, the uh, designs, both in product and uh, soft goods and website and anything we do that has any sort of design element. And then I am Jake Pantone, and I oversee uh, product and the brand. So we've been going to the Dirty Kanza for three years now, and we are just on the tail end of that event. It was two weekends ago, and Envy's been a partner of that event for the last two years. And so, uh, Neil, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the background of Envy being at DK and um, what that event means to the brand. Yeah, it's actually um, it's actually th- three years now. So 2019 was our third year as the wheel partner of Dirty Kanza. And uh, it, it came about as this this gravel. I mean, gravel just continues to be blowing up in the U.S. and worldwide now. And you know, I, I have pretty long history with Dirty Kanza that we'll we'll get into in a little bit. But this was year six for me, and very like from the very beginning. You know, before it was a household name out there. Like, you know, I, I recognized the where the event was going and the opportunities there as a as a company and putting your equipment out there at dirty cans is like the ultimate test that you can do and so you know a couple years later we uh we came in we we took advantage of that opportunity and now you know the one thing that all of us have here and in you know at this table that we have in common is that uh we've all finished or we've all ridden dk so um anyway that's where we are now and uh just it keeps blowing up and so we're so pumped to uh to be part of it so i think uh one of the things you just said nil um, really stands out to me and it's it's something i didn't fully appreciate until um i participated in the event and rode out there um and that was that you know dk really is a true proving ground for equipment when it comes to gravel um you know, you sort of, before going to DK, you sort of think that you've seen anything and everything that you can throw at your equipment based on maybe riding where you ride or based on preconceived notions, um, which we're going to talk about a little bit more today in terms of uh, 
you know, what were the preconceived notions we had going into the event, but um, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on just exactly why DK is such a proving ground for um, all your products. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's 200 miles to, to start with. So just the, the distance in it, it itself is above and beyond, you know, most of the events out there. But there's something special or I don't know if you I don't know if special is the right word, but the Flint Rock in, you know, so we're riding through the Flint Hills just outside of Emporia, Kansas. And there are so many rocks on the course that slash tires, destroy wheels. Um, so that's one huge element. I mean, if you have a, you know, if you can make it through the day without flatting, that is a victory in itself. Um, and then there's, there's so many weather, anything can happen with the weather out there. So, you know, there, there could be a, a overnight storm that we had two years ago that just, you know, you have a perfect course the day before and all of a sudden a storm comes in and it's a total quagmire, just a mud fest out there. Um, so you, you just, in terms of preparation and equipment, um, you, you really have no idea what the day can be and you can face any number of challenges out there. And I think when most people go into the event, they, they really they focus on the on the fitness because like 200 miles like riding 200 miles is like downright scary right especially because most you know who's ridden 200 miles before like before dk like not that many people um so you know we get so caught up in like the the, the fitness side of it and that preparation and it's easy to kind of lose sight of some of the bigger things out there like how good at you are you at like changing a flat tire or you know, fixing a broken chain or making a single speed out of your bike, all these things that happen that don't ever happen anywhere else. So, you know, it's like you literally see everything in DK. Yeah. And I think you see, um, I think one of the elements of DK that makes it especially challenging on equipment specifically is the fact that it is a race and you're out there with several thousand other people where most of your training rides you will have done, most of the gravel riding you're you will have done or even racing will have been done with fields that are much smaller um where line selection potentially isn't near as important but at dk you are not granted the uh luxury of line choice often you're some and if and it's usually in those moments where you're trying to uh, jostle for position or if you are following blindly into some river crossing or s some depression or something where you s you can really put yourself at risk for equipment um, damage because you aren't really granted that ability to, for line choice. So it's really important to uh, acknowledge the race element of DK that you maybe don't fully consider if you haven't done the event before. And one of the things I think um, you learn quickly at DK is the concept of drafting if you're coming off the road and going to DK. And you may, I think a lot of people or more people more and more every year have done a double century on the road. Um, you know, here in Utah, there's a event called the Lodija that you know, it's like the Utah World Championships and everybody who's a road cyclist has to have done that. It's like a rite of passage, except for AJ. He hasn't done it yet. I've done it. <laughs> I've but, done uh, it. you know, guys coming off the road, they're like, yeah, I've done a double century. I've never done a gravel double century, but how much harder or difficult, more difficult could it be? You don't get the luxury of drafting necessarily. Um, gravel's much more taxing on the body. And, you know, drafting, 
while it has its benefits in the winds of Kansas at times, it can also be a detriment to your equipment if you don't have the ability to have safe line choice. So, um, yeah, I think it's, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a fantastic event for us as a brand to um, prove out the equipment that we design for gravel riding and racing. And more than anything, you know, after this event, we've had a lot of people reaching out to us, friends, family, you know, followers on social media, um, really looking for more information about the event and wanting to know like how the day went for us and how um, our equipment worked out and some of the choices we made going into the event in terms of our preparation. And so we've put this group together of, of those of us who participate in the event this year. And we've got a handful of questions um, that we think will just be uh, insightful for everybody to maybe make some notes on as they as they uh, make their preparations potentially to participate in DK in the future. And Neil, um, maybe you can give everybody just quickly a, a brief uh, overview of what's required to get into DK. So that if anybody's looking to uh, register for the event next year, most likely you won't want to do the event after you listen to <laughs> <laughs> our uh, report. But if you still if you still are insane enough to want to do it, uh, Neil will tell you what you actually have to do to be able to get into the event because it's it's a I believe it's a lottery. Yeah, it's a lottery. I would say the the hardest the hardest thing about DK is actually getting a spot into DK. Um, so for 2020, um, it's going to be a lottery again. So you need to sign up. Um, I think they, they just released the dates of when the lottery opens. It's, I think it's like middle, middle of December and then it's like a two week window and then they, they choose, they choose the, the slots, um, beginning of January. Um, and this year, I think there were 2,600 people total for all the distances, if I'm not mistaken. And that's about, that's about all it can really grow to. I mean, maybe they could add a couple hundred more people, but they're so limited in, lodging and restaurants in emporia it's a small it's a small town so it already the event already just you know um fills up fills up emporia and kind of the surrounding small town so it can only it can only grow so much so getting one of those spots is hard but you got to get your name in early um and then cross your fingers yep so check out um dirty cons's website for the specific details and for any of you that think that 2600 people sounds like a lot you have not experienced the dirty cons and the desolation it can bring when you're out there at mile 110 and you haven't seen a soul for half hour. <laughs> so great, great place to be. <laughs> All right. So to get started here, we, uh, we'll, we'll start with Bo. Um, one of the first questions we wanted to talk about was, you know, going into DK, um, and what was your previous experience with gravel riding in general? And, uh, Maybe you could just go into oh man, what some of your preconceived notions were about that event. So my previous experience with gravel was, you know, next to nothing. <laughs> I uh, I was a mechanic for our our guys last year at DK, and you know I I'd, I'd seen gravel all around. You know we were making a wheel and all that stuff, and I thought it was really cool. But when I actually saw it in person at Konza last year as a mechanic. Uh, believe it or not, seeing all the pain on their faces, like I, <laughs> I, uh, I was interested, and I was like, "This is really cool. This is something I want to be 
you know, I want to get you into. You wanted to fill it for yourself. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to be in that miserable place. <laughs> I, actually, I actually remember hearing the stories and stuff, and the pain was like, I don't know, maybe I could, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could suffer that much pain. <laughs> yeah, it's you get you get some feeling, just yeah. I want to be able to do that, but I, so anyway, I got my gravel bike. Um, I think it was December. <laughs> I'd been training, you know. I I told you guys I was like, yeah, I'll I'll try it, and then you guys made me eat my words and and uh, registered me and everything, but. Uh, so I'm training on my road bike, got my gravel bike in like December and all the snow. And so I was just on the trainer. And, and then finally, when the snow started to kill, uh, melt. Has it yet? <laughs> yeah, not just quite barely. Yet. <laughs> yeah, then I finally got my first taste of actual gravel riding. I don't know. That was maybe February, March, something like that. So <laughs> what, what we have here is Bo, who is rookie. A, Bad example of how you should <laughs> to prepare for a dirty concept. We got the extremes here. It, you know, for any of you that lived in, live around the Intermountain West or on the West Coast, I guess really anywhere, it was a pretty rough winter and it tended to uh, carry on. So in order to do training, you were either traveling south a lot or uh, learning to be cold and wet. So, yeah. Riding in the mud. <laughs> So let's go to, but we've gone from one end of the spectrum. Let's go to Nil. <laughs> I mean, Nil, Nil, like you said, this was his sixth year at the event. I mean, Nil, tell what's your previous experience? You've done six of them. Um, you know, what, what were you thinking as you're going into this year? Yeah, I would, I would say this year, like every year leading into DK, like I, I, I had been living in California until seven, eight months ago. And so I could train all winter and, you know, really focus on, being good in June for, for dirty Kansas. And so fitness was not often an issue this year. It was an issue because as, as Bo referenced, like it snows in Utah, like no one told me that, but <laughs> <laughs> it does. Um, so my, uh, my winter training was almost non-existent. So I just kind of really focused on making sure I was ready to, to get through the day. And that was, you know, getting a handful of long rides under my belt. And then, and then the, some of the most critical pieces is just making sure that my nutrition and hydration program was, was dialed just to be able to fuel me for the, for the 200 miles or, you know, whether it was 12 hours or if it was going to take me 18 hours, whatever it was going to be. So those were kind of the critical things that I was just, uh, making sure were in place. I right, any thoughts? I mean, my, my uh, kind of gravel experience stemmed from cyclocross. I always have loved mixed terrain rides, hit the road, hit a trail, and, and, uh, and something that appeals to me in the gravel race, especially here or there at Cons, is that you, you, get the, you get a mixture of riders, and roadie, roadies are going to excel at the straight flat areas and maybe the mountain bikers can excel at the uh, descents and stuff and uh and so you can get some a real mixture of riders and uh i think that's really cool about the gravel scene and uh i was really excited to do the cons of this year after hearing the stories the adventure the remoteness of it is super appealing in general that's that's i think what pulls people towards gravels 
being able to get off the road away from traffic and go have an adventure. And it is awesome that you see such a mixture of backgrounds and disciplines in cycling. You have, I mean, you have everything from former track track racers to world tour riders to mountain bike professionals. I mean, everything in between. So it is, it is pretty cool how gravel pulls all those disciplines together into sort of one uh, unique challenge. Um, you know, me, I have, this was, I was somewhat like Bo. I, the first year I went to DK, I went as support. I went and supported Neil and some uh, media and our PR guys. And honestly, the suffering that I went through supporting the race was such that <laughs> I, my, I said, I'm never coming back to DK as a support, <laughs> as a support entity. I, uh, I, I need to be riding it because if I can, you know, drive around on gravel roads and, you know, set up feed zones and everything for 12 to 15 hours in a day. You can suffer it on a bike. I would rather suffer it on a bike. So either way you're working for 12 to 15 hours. <laughs> yeah. Either way, if you're there, you're going to be hot and sweaty. So, um, I think, uh, going into this year's DK, having one under my belt is a huge confidence booster. I think it's just one of those events that you go into first, you know, like Neil said, you're really worried about your fitness and you're worried about the monumental task of 200 miles, but it's not just that it's 200 miles, it's 200 miles of gravel. And there's that, there's that rude awakening the first time you go and do, I remember the first gravel ride I did that was um, like a real proper gravel ride. It was like 65 miles. And I remember thinking like, I can't believe that just took eight hours, you know? And it's that realization that riding 200 miles on gravel is, just so much different than riding 200 miles on road or even like really smooth, you know, manicured gravel roads. There's so many different types of dirt and gravel roads out there. Some are fast. DK is fast at times, but there's a lot of it that is mountain bike speeds just based on the steepness and the looseness and the roughness of the terrain. So I think having one DK under, under your belt is just a huge confidence booster. So getting out there for the first time and just getting through it is, is invaluable um, for any future endeavors. Um, what do you guys think, you know, we don't have to go in any sort of order, but you know, what's, what's the one thing you wish you knew going to DK, like prior to DK, what's the one thing you wish you know, you knew now that it's gone and over? <laughs> well, I know this isn't really that possible, but I wish I knew what the weather was. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first because, thing I thought of. Because that was my main, my main concern is, is my equipment selection Good. So I had such a huge bag of stuff for any weather condition. And, you know, we, I'm going to say we lucked out. It was, it was hot, but it was, it was manageable and, uh, didn't have to wear arm warmers, leg warmers, windbreakers, rain jackets. You have to get any of that stuff. It was just managing the heat. Yeah. I think we were so focused on, <clears throat> they had so many storms and it was so wet leading up to DK that we were all just worried about the mud and mm -hmm. it was going to be raining and how miserable it was going to be. And it was like the exact opposite, just hot and dry. There was almost no mud on the course. And that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. It's like, you just, you really have no idea what you're getting until like you roll off that start line. And then, you know, it's cause it can change so quickly out there. Although I, I do wish that the supposed afternoon storm would have rolled in. Oh yeah. It would have saved. It would me. have been a nice relief. <laughs> I mean, I think we really have Neil to thank for the dry, hot temperatures because he spent hours over the weekend making some really cool Envy branded mud sticks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and so yeah, as long as you had a mud stick, you were uh, 
pushing away the the rain gods yeah yeah and that we did i mean they're going up to the weekend there was you know what was it 40 percent kind of chance looming thunderstorms in the afternoon and tell you what i was certainly uh wishing those things would appear but uh it didn't and it was hot and i think that's you know that's, that's one thing that i wish i i wish you could know that but the reality is is you're just not going to and so regardless of what the weather's going to do you have to come prepared to dk with every contingency in mind and then the morning of make some decisions and you know luckily i think you have those few choice opportunities on the course to you know pick up a jacket pick up you know whatever equipment you may have in your contingency bag which is effectively what that last feed zone is all about so <laughs> yeah and i mean that's one of the things that's really so unique about dk is the the amount of of planning because we don't you know the event if you're not familiar with it does not have traditional feed zones you have checkpoints where you have to have a crew or the hire a crew and you provide everything that you need or think you're going to need to those checkpoints and so there's just definitely a, there's a you know next level of preparation and and thoughtfulness that needs to go into it and it, it, it causes a lot of stress like i have spreadsheets you know with my checklist and everything and you know each year that i that i do dirty cans are like that that stress isn't isn't as much because i've gone through the process but i remember my first year and i mean i had i had no idea what i thought i might want and and it's really interesting because what you know what you think you might want in you know in your checkpoint at hour 12 you know most of us aren't doing rides that long and what your body will tolerate in terms of food or drink um, it changes so it, it really is next level preparation to like really be prepared so is there anything you guys would do differently in your preparation so many things oh, we, we know your answer so we'll let you go first since you probably so have a many half things. hour long list well <laughs> first of all i wouldn't recommend uh your wife and yourself having a baby months before um that kind of cut down some of my training time quite a bit. Um, and I think just gravel experience period would have helped. And then one thing I really desperately wanted was sunscreen. <laughs> I needed to pack more sunscreen. <laughs> that was pretty bad. I got a little toasted. Bo's not even the aggressively white one here. <laughs> yeah. What about getting pneumonia before the race? How do you... <laughs> yeah, that was a big setback. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. But I, I think you need to say it. You know, you got to come up with a long list that, of all the reasons why you know that, tapped out. That was a huge emotional <laughs> roller coaster for me. I, I went through so many different emotions before I felt strong or no, I started out feeling, you know, nearly scared to death. Like I was going to die just at the start. And then as I trained more and more, I felt confident. You know, I was I was getting excited, still nervous, but excited like yeah i can do this and and then pneumonia hit and just wiped all that training out and uh and then i had that mentality just like yeah i don't care i'm just gonna go ride and whatever i don't care but then as it got closer and i you know i was still recovering i got nervous all over again i was like this is gonna be awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna shock everyone that's <laughs> what i thought <laughs> But uh, we, were, we were impressed. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, that's uh, so I, I had a rough go coming up to Kanza. I think you exceeded most people's 
um, estimates on the distance you would complete. So I'd call Good. that a win. Good. All there, right. There wasn't over and under, and I saw a lot oh. of bets yeah. that, you were, that you weren't going to do over I tried, 100. I tried to find out if anyone was betting against me or not, but... No, 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 no. I, I, was, on your, I was on your side, Bo. Yeah. Thanks. No, I had Thanks. you tell mile 62, climbing awesome. in the van. Yeah. So. <laughs> Obviously, I should have given up then, but... So yeah. anybody else have any other thoughts about if they would do any different preparations going into the event? Food. I would have dialed in more what I wanted to eat, less banking on, you know, gels or blocks or bars <laughs> and some more real sustainable food at the checkpoints. And it, at the first checkpoint, I didn't grab any of the food that I wanted to, so I should have had that in a bag and I didn't, so I was I was hungry and kind of deprived when I got to the next checkpoint because I didn't grab the right food. So I you needed some chicken noodle soup. <laughs> yeah, chicken. Yeah, I don't think you anticipate kind of like how hectic. Even if you're not like you know in the very front and like racing, it, it the the checkpoints are are hectic, and you know you you come in, you don't want to waste a lot of time, so. Your brain's not, my brain wasn't yeah. working. I yeah. was like excited, adrenaline's going. I'm like 60 miles under my belt. Let's keep rolling through. Yeah. And I grabbed, I grabbed a handful of beef jerky and, and then, <laughs> and then five miles was like, I wanted to grab a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a banana, this, that, and then I didn't grab any of that. <laughs> See, that's something that I think uh, <clears throat> event experience specifically at DK teaches you because the last year I left feed zone one with, out a fresh water bottle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got that. And I'm like, what the hell? What am I going to do now? I just, <laughs> and it's like, I realized it not even like three miles later, but I was like, I'm not Can't going backwards. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, nutrition. I mean, it's, I, I don't, having done a fair amount of like long events, big events like this, I've, I've learned specifically that like after, basically after six or seven hours, I need real food. Like the gels and the, bars and all that are either completely unappetizing or be just mm -hmm. not working anymore and so i mean one of the one of the i mean i think the best part of the day for me i mean finishing is great but like getting into the third feed zone which this year was at mile 150 um was really that opportunity to refuel i mean it, that's what really that that rest stops all about it's about food and lunch and um you know i think i i actually made a list of all that i partook of in that feed zone um I, I i calculated i did 48 ounces of gatorade a coke three things of the little pickle juice shots i had a bottle of water beef jerky and two turkey and cheese sandwiches and i thought i ate a lot yeah that's a pretty good list <laughs> but i mean that that rejuvenated me completely and going you know the last 50 miles felt better than the you know, the first 75, which, you know, I think is also what's really cool about DK is that it's, it's dynamic. Like the, I, I kind of look at it like it's a metaphor for life. Like you come in with all these plans, you can prepare, you can, you can, you can think you have everything set up and, you know, dialed and, you know, everything ready to go. And then just something happens. Right. And you have to learn how to roll with the punches at DK. Yeah, I agree. And I would say 
you know, back to checkpoint three, I was out of everyone in our group. I was there the longest, I believe, but it was probably like, I was there, what, maybe 45 minutes, AJ, somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. And, uh, took probably 20 minutes before I could actually consume anything. But, you know, as you said, Jake, like getting in some, some solid calories, like I was a mess going into that, going into that checkpoint and wasn't, you know, wasn't a hundred percent confident I was going to be able to finish the, you know, and that's a terrible feeling in itself. And, and so being able to like, just relax, get some ice, a lot of ice on me to cool off. Um, I was definitely overheated and then, and then taking in the, the meat and cheese sandwich. And I don't know what, there was a, there was some trail mix in there. There was some jerky in there. You kind of, you kind of forget like what, just people are handing you stuff and you're just like, Oh, I never eat this, but you're willing to like, your body's just a furnace at that point. And like anything you put in is, you know, you're, you're burning it so fast and everything sounds good at that point. So, um, and then from then, like the, the last 50 miles was, was some of the easiest, you know, the easiest miles of the day after having a thousand calorie binge. I was honored to be able to spend that last 50 miles with Neil. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. It was. I started with, uh, did the first half with Jake and then finished the last 50 with, with Ike. So it's a good day. Yeah. So I think one of the things we had intended to talk about in this little round table was like, what were the preconceived notions you had during the event? And like one of the preconceived notions I had was that I was going to ride with Neil and a bunch of my buddies all day long. And we were going to have our fun little gravel group out there and just, you know, roll this fun DK. And, um, we had the group for a while and me, me was, Jake and Neil, yeah. little family. Yeah. yeah. And then like, you know, there's, we had this group of guys and I was like, you know, this is, this is the group we could, we could, we could do this all day. But the thing with DK is, and any really any event that where you're going to be out there for 12 hours plus, um, is that everybody has bad legs at a different time in the day. And you quickly realize that pace lines and riding in a group just, it just doesn't work. The dynamic isn't there. And before you know it, you're just floated off the front of a group and people are floating off the back. And before you know it, you're alone. Before you know it, you're walking up the hills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no shame in walking. No, it's no. A, it's I, a sport in and of itself. Yeah. It's called hiking. I was cheering <laughs> people as they went by. So it was doing my duty. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about equipment. Um, I, yeah, I know a lot of the four listeners that we probably have at this point. Those of us in the room know what we're writing. But <laughs> the other four of you that have stuck around this long <laughs> to uh, learn more about DK. You know, there's always a lot of questions about the equipment setups that we have. Um, on the Envy Journal, there was a, there's a highlight speaking about the bikes that we rode so you can see our bikes and the equipment selection there. But let's talk a little bit about just uh, tire pressure, tire and wheel setup, and maybe just um, go around the room. Maybe we'll start with you, Neil, and just tell us what, uh, or tell the audience what wheels you selected and the tires and the pressures that you were running. Yeah, well, I mean, wheels and tires are truly like the most critical piece of the of the equipment puzzle for dk and um so this was last year we launched the g-series wheels out at at dirty kanza um so the g23 so there's the g23 and the g27 wheels and for something like dirty kanza the g23 which is a 700c wheel uh is is definitely the most popular option and that's what i that's what i rode um with 
uh, kind of a new tire for me this year, which is the IRC Boken in 40C. So it's kind of a, just has like a little file tread on the top and then some side knobs. So relatively fast rolling. Um, there isn't a lot of like technical cornering or anything like that at Dirty Kansas. So you don't need like a full, full tread tire. Um, and I set them up, you know, with the G23 wheels, you know, which is some of the, the flat prevention technology we have. I can always run like a few PSI lower than I would ever dare on another wheel set. So I ran the front at 32 PSI and the rear at 34. Uh, had a couple instances where you're feeling the rock on rim, uh, but no flat tires. And so that was to be able to get through, you know, I had my own, I had plenty of uh, struggles throughout the day, but like not having any equipment issues is like, it's amazing. That is huge. I, uh, I actually rode the M525 gravel, which is an kind of a precursor to the G23. It's a little bit lighter wheel than the 525, but it's a 25 millimeter internal. And I rode the Panracer, Panracer Gravel King 40C. And so that get with that 25 internal width, it gets pretty high volume. So I was running um, 28 PSI front and 30 rear. And I'm a 195 pound rider. So that's what I've been training with though. I felt super comfortable. Uh, confident in that setup and I love it the control the compliance the the kind of flat protection is is awesome because it does have that that wide hook technology um so with that and then honestly the gravel bar is phenomenal my hands felt so good for 200 <laughs> miles on the bike like it I felt good my shoulders were good um, just having multiple positions, being able to get out wider on for the aggressive descents. Um, just the yeah. extra compliance that bar has too, yeah. um, compared to even our own road bar is is noticeable, especially on a day like that. Yeah, that bar really is amazing. <clears throat> plus, plus the uh, I don't know can we put a bar tape plug in there with the three millimeter bar tape. You already have, Ike. So I I was on the G23s as well. Um, as far as tires go, parts of me thinks I will, may have been a little overkill, but then other parts of me, like, glad I had that tire. Uh, like Neil was saying, you know, there's not a lot of uh, technical corners out there, but at the same time, so my tires, I had the Maxxis Ravager in a size 40C. Uh, the Ravager looks like a mountain bike tire. It's got some good big size knobbies on the side. Um, but I was, and I was running around 31 thir to like 33-ish, something around there. And uh, I felt indestructible on those descents where I was intentionally picking nasty lines and descending like a madman. And, you know, I was maybe that guy that everyone was getting mad at because I was just flying past them on the descents, <laughs> causing a lot of ruckus. But uh, I think that heavier tire at the same time, like I could feel it on some of those climbs, maybe a bit slower tread with those big side knobs. But, uh, I mean, I had a lot of confidence, I can say that. A lot of control. 
and it was smooth. But uh, so yeah, I I don't know if it was a good move or a bad move. Uh, it's hard to say. I'd say it was good. You didn't flat, and I, I maybe that's also the reason why you didn't finish. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, I can't disagree. <laughs> no, um, you know I've I think I've learned not to bet against the house, and uh, you know Neil Neil's the only person in this room who actually went out and he went and um, did some, uh, you know, site. How would you guys? What was there's a DK training camp. It's a DK training camp in the beginning of April. And yeah, to ride part of the course. So Neil's the only person that actually knew who'd actually gone and seen the new course, and he came back with a lot of feedback and beta around how much rougher um, some of the rock was up north. And so I kind of just went with uh, I went with Coach Neil's recommendation, and um, I, I run the G23. I'm running. I've been running the same set of G23 wheels since I got my very first. Um, um, test test wheel set back before DK of last year. Um, so it's the same wheel set I had last year. I had great success last year on the Maxxis Rambler 40 with the 60 TPI casing. This year on Neil's recommendation, I went to the IRC, um, the IRC tire, which uh, was slightly more volume and a little more sidewall reinforcement. And I mean, was the extra weight worth it? I didn't flat, so I kind of can't say no. I mean, would I prefer a lighter tire? Sure, there is 11,000 feet. Well, I guess it's debatable depending on how your Garmin's set up, but somewhere between 10 and 12,000 feet of climbing <laughs> on this DK course. Uh, you know, so, you know, weight savings is certainly nice, but I have zero complaints about my setup. Um, again, 40C tire at, I was running 20, seven in the front and 29 in the back and i did you know i was also running um some tire pressure monitoring and i thought it was interesting in the day seeing as it heated up seeing my tire pressure go up um, a psi per tire which i thought was was interesting as the day heated up into you know well into the 90s and mm -hmm. so yeah um you know, i think it's again when you're out there the last thing you want to do is have a flat tire and so having utter confidence like bo was saying being able to blast the descents and just being confident in uh, your ability to to ride um, with with less fear of flatting is is huge because I mean flat tires suck no matter how you look at them they're even worse when you're at like any mile in DK whether you're early in the race you just know you have a long day and you've just had that first interruption or late in the day when you're exhausted and it's hotter than hell and you're standing on the side of the road with no shade trying to change a flat tire also no fun there's really no fun scenario for changing flats and so I think you know the anti-flat technology in the wheel is something I would never show up to DK without personally. Um, but it's also, I think, a testament to the product that none of us had any flat tire issues. So, and I think as you see, like, you know, this year especially, like, there were so many more pro and, like, world tour pro riders that really have, have l very limited gravel experience or at least, like, gravel event experience. And just looking around, it seemed like most of those riders that were really going after like the performance end of it and were new to the scene were on too small, had didn't have enough volume in their tires. And a lot of those guys paid the price and, and flatted. And then, you know, someone like Colin Strickland, who actually won, he was on 42 C tires. And I think he understands the gravel scene well enough to know that there's plenty of opportunities to look like pull extra performance out of your equipment and like make it the fastest setup but also the fastest setup is one that doesn't that doesn't flat and i know he you know he's a bigger guy he ran you know more 
more pressure than we probably would have recommended or that any of us ran. But, you know, it, for him, it was just about getting through the day without, you know, without any flat tires. And I, I would say almost like what he did out there is a disservice to, to anyone when you look at his time because anyone that's coming in, you know, that, that doesn't understand how challenging that event is and how slow it is in, in areas and they look at an average speed of 20 miles an hour and they're like, oh, I can do that on the road. That's not too bad. Like it just it sets you up for uh, disappointment later on. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Colin's ride was impressive to say the least. Um, but it's also not to, not to go without mentioning that he had his challenges along the way as well. I mean, it's all, you know, in scale to everybody else's efforts, but even him setting, you know, the fastest DK time of ever, um, you know, he's still, he still dealt with some setbacks. He, you know, feeling the heat. Uh, he had, he had a, he picked up a nail at some point. Yeah. So um, he, he was fortunate enough to have his uh, tire seal without any real, you know, extra effort in, you know, having to put a tube or anything in like that. But, you know, even, even at that time he posted, he, he still had some challenges throughout the day. And I think, you know, it's, you need to respect the event. And it's the one thing you learn either now, as we're telling you, respect the event, or you show up and you learn the hard way, um, like most of us have or did at some point. Because if, if you don't, you'll, you know, you show up with a smaller tire because you think you're going to go faster with it, or you, you know, make a decision to carry less equipment on your bike, you know, DK has a special way of uh, making you regret those decisions. So slaps you in the face. <laughs> it does. Easy. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it, it will debunk any preconceived notions you have about the event. So maybe just imparting everyone, what's the, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about equipment, some nutrition, the course itself, you know, you know, how important it is to consider all these different variables and then just the, the random nature of uh, weather in the Flint Hills. But, you know, what, you know, Neil, you've, you've done DK a lot of times now. Ike, you've got one under your belt. Uh, Bo, you have 75% of one under your belt. <laughs> I'm, you're going to be there I'll again, there. dude. I know, it, dude. There. And, you know, I've got a couple under my belt now. And, you know, what, what's the one thing you can't live without? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't have finished the event without it. Like, what's that one thing that looking back, you're like, that one moment is the reason I finished. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I'll start. And that was uh, that was our pit crew. And, you know, AJ and and Shelby, who, you know, is part of the customer service team here at Envy. And without them at mile 150 and helping, like, get me cooled off and get fluids back in me, like, I wouldn't have been able to finish. So that was having, having the right having the right people involved or if you're using the, you know, the higher a crew, um, they could do something similar as well. But, uh, you know, someone that just knew me well enough and, and knew that I couldn't get back out there right away, um, but was able to take the time and, and knew that I wanted to finish and, you know, gave me the tools I needed so that I could, could get back out there. I, I would agree. I think the pit crew, I mean, Shelby, our other mechanic that was there, I mean, I, you could say he literally saved my life. <laughs> um, I was I was sitting about mile 120, and uh, I was not in a good place. Like, I had some bad heat stroke. I had already thrown up. My chest started hurting, kind of like 
honestly like heart pains and stuff like that. And anyway, so I texted him. <laughs> we diagnosed this as a minor heart attack later, <laughs> just so everybody's aware. <laughs> I, I texted him, he came and picked me up and like he knew exactly what to do. Like he just started pouring water on me and just like cooling me down as fast as possible. So I, I didn't like, I, I'm really happy <laughs> that AJ and, and Shelby were there. We're happy you're with us still, Bo. Yeah. <laughs> still, alive. you know, nutrition and, and water aside, obviously you can't survive without that. But <clears throat> for me, it was the the challenge. Um, I, I loved going into that race event completely blind, pretty much, besides what people have told me, and and going in with um, very conservative yet positive attitude that. I can do this like I've pre prepared and that's kind of what I thought the whole time every ride I went on before that event was okay what am I gonna do in Kanza how am I gonna you know preparing my mind so that when I am in just digging deep and suffering like what's my mind what am I gonna do am I gonna give up am I going to uh, revert to a plan that I've already made and which is keep pedaling so uh, I know I, I loved it. It was a sweet event, and honestly, getting to the finish line was a bit emotional. I, I called my wife, and I was dang near in tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. there's there's an emotional. I mean, anytime you're on the bike that long or facing some sort of challenge that long, there's definitely an emotional reaction you can have when you you cross that finish line. And for those of you who don't know, Ike is my stronger younger brother, but. I've tried to choke him out as a kid. I, <laughs> I had no doubt he was going to finish. <laughs> he, uh, he has that, uh, that strength for sure. You know, I think for me, the, um, the one thing that, you know, I really don't know if I'd finished the race as well as I had, or even at all, or, or these, there's these random acts of hydration. I call them out on the course where like people just, sh there's only like, there's, there's specified hydration and feed zones. And then there's these people that show up in their jeeps with you know coolers of water and they oftentimes are scooping water literally out of a igloo cooler that probably <laughs> held like dead fish and raw beef at some point but like it's it's either you drink that water or you dehydrate and become part of the landscape and so <laughs> um i think those random acts of hydration for all the people in emporia who come out and support the event um you know it, without them it, it would be really hard to finish the event and then of course as neil mentioned without a a solid support crew there's just there's just no way you can you can do it unless you want to carry you know all and everything but even then it's 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 having it's be able to show up to see a friendly face somebody who knows you somebody who can you know solve some of your problems that you've been having up until that point i know like one of my challenges was and one of the things that I, I i would say i got lucky on this year is that i i didn't prepare with um enough juice in my garmin and if you go to dirty kanza you have to navigate dave zabriskie with <laughs> <laughs> with you have to navigate yourself on the course there are no course markings and it seems really simple when you, you're gonna roll out with 2,600 people that you can just follow wheels, which you certainly can for the first, you know, 100 miles pretty easily. But when you're alone out there and you realize your Garmin has 10% battery life left and you have 75 miles left to go in the race, and you realize at some point I'm, you know, I'm gonna have to buddy up with somebody or otherwise I'm <laughs> gonna get lost out here. And when you say lost out here, there is nothing out there. You are 
alone in the wilderness. And other than, you know, if, if you make a wrong turn, there's a good chance you are exactly, you were very much lost. There's nobody coming for you. There's nobody that knows where you're at. So, you know, that having, having the support crew there to, you know, put a battery pack on my Garmin and get that all set up while I was refueling, um, really took what could have been a very, uh, basically a DNF, a guaranteed DNF potentially to, uh, you know, finishing the race well. So big shout out to the support teams and, Again, you know, if you can't bring your crew, DK offers offers support for hire, and they they do a phenomenal job, from what I hear as well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's DK. I think it's probably we think we've covered everything. Probably time to wrap it up here. But for anybody who wants to do DK, it's an amazing event. The people of Emporia are amazing. You think Kansas is flat? We'll debunk that notion right now. <laughs> Go there, get your climbing legs on, and. Uh, um, Get ready for the challenge. Check out DK's website for information on registration and getting into the lottery. And if you have any other questions, we're always uh, happy to fill those. So send us an email and we would be happy to help you out and follow the website. If you want to read more about um, the bikes we rode at DK, check them out. They're on the nv.com slash journal. And uh, thanks for listening.